I'm Doug Keck, and welcome to a very busy bookmark show. Four different books, the author, Father Jeffrey Kirby, STD, and the books are Sanctify Them in Truth, Glory Unto Glory, Understanding the Bible, and A Journey to Mount Carmel. Great to see you, Father. Thanks, Doug. And considering uh, Sanctify Them in Truth is also a miniseries, have you gone up the priesthood for being a television host <laughs> and, a, and a book author? Or, no. or what's going on no, here? I, I, I thought people might wonder <laughs> that. And it, it's interesting to have so many volumes released in, in a short amount of time. But what happens, a lot of publishers held books uh, during the pandemic because, you know, people weren't sure about spending money and, and weren't, you know, perhaps buying books. Mm -hmm. So some of the publishers held these. So some of these books were written a couple of years ago. Right. And so it looks like they've all of a sudden been written in three months or something, but no, they've, they've been a couple of years projects. <laughs> right, so we're gonna go through each one, but one we wanna focus on probably the most is sanctify them in truth, how the church social doctrine addresses the issues of our time. And I want, because as I mentioned, it was a, a mini series that you had actually proposed to us based on this and uh, a program you did with a co-host, right? That's right, yes, exactly. Kathy Schmuggy is a bioethicist and myself is a moral theologian, yes. Now these other books, uh, and we'll talk about them, are, are kind of spiritual, but this one uh, kind of focuses a little more on the intersection with the culture. Oh right? yeah, is that this one's gonna rattle the cage, um, so, and, and, and already has. Um, the others, of course, you know, we can all, all agree on, on spiritual principles for, for greater extent, you know. Um, but when it comes to the moral questions, that's really where we see where everyone's standing. So whose cage have you rattled? <laughs> well, the main issues that we address, uh, for example, critical race theory, the LGBTQ plus movement, mm -hmm. uh, gender equality, immigration. So you can imagine um, there are some perhaps, um, you know, liberal Catholics mm -hmm. who struggle with church teaching or those who are more broad in their understanding of what the church actually teaches. Uh, in some areas, there can be prudential disagreement right, sure. on some of these issues. Uh, and then, of course, leaders of certain movements. Uh, the largest chapter is on the LGBTQ+, because I give specific counsel on how we do not normalize those aspects of that movement, and that has really upset some people. So, so is it your belief that we've been doing that? We have been normalizing? Oh, very much. Okay. In fact, I think in our society, uh, more and more Christians are more complicit. So for example, the person who's in their workplace and suddenly they have a little reception at lunch to celebrate a colleague who has married supposedly another man. Right. And they don't do this when the heterosexuals get married, but they have the little party for the homosexual couple. Does the Catholic coworker go to that party? Well, more and more Catholics are mm -hmm. because they feel the pressure. It's my work. I don't want to lose my job. What is my boss going to think? Right. And that's just one of many examples. I could say. And people do, want to know. be kind. They don't want to be disrespectful. Right. They don't want somebody to feel bad. Exactly. Right? And they don't want to be called terrible names. Right. Uh, for, for a movement that describes itself as so tolerant, it is actually extremely intolerant mm -hmm. uh, to those who do not completely and totally agree with it. So, and Doug, I'll tell you just other examples like. You know, does a Christian family allow their child to stay overnight or be a part of a slumber party of a lesbian couple? Mm -hmm. Does uh, a boy or a, a child allow, um, is permitted to be on a sports team where the coach is transgender? Mm -hmm. And so on. Th this is there, this is reality, this is actually happening and Christian families, Christian parents mm -hmm. in particular, are asking, where, where's the guidance? Like, mm -hmm. where's the church? Like, please help me with this well, it's, because... It's yes. interesting you mentioned guidance because in the very beginning you, you talk about an Episcopal Anglican clergy who came in, in particular one that you know, and the idea, his whole thing was, I'm searching for guidance 
people are asking me questions. What's the basis of our teaching? And he said it seemed only the Catholic Church was concerned about showing believers how to live as Christians in the 21st century. Now, some people have said, we seem like we're falling into the same pattern as the Anglican Church of being maybe too wishy-washy with these things. Well, and, and if you look at some sectors of the church, I, I think that that argument and observation would, would be well-founded. You know, I always try to ground people in the formal teachings of the church. Mm -hmm. uh, church leaders come and they go. We've got good leaders, we've had bad leaders, but it's the perennial teachings of the church. That's our bedrock. Mm -hmm. That's the confession of faith. That's what we know the Holy Spirit will guard. Mm -hmm. So I, I just constantly direct people. Uh, I, I specifically in sanctify them in truth tried to reserve myself almost exclusively to the scriptures and the catechism of the Catholic Church, not to get into various documents and debates over the, you know, what level of authority does right. a document have this or stuff. Have, right. Just say, this is what the church teaches, this is how we're supposed to live. And, and with, with that story in particular, to, just, to realize that there are people who have left their entire professions, mm -hmm. left, you know, supposed priesthoods and Protestant traditions, in order to then become Catholic because the Catholic Church is the one who's addressing this, these issues, saying here are the scriptures, mm -hmm. here's the wisdom of God, this is how we're called to live as Christians. And as Catholics, we should value that and right. relish that and you know, thoroughly study and then follow what the church is teaching us. Well, it's interesting too, because sometimes as you, you talk about the magisterial teachings, we talk about the moral teachings, and then there's the social doctrine, and sometimes it seems like they're pitted against each other. Yeah, only by bad theologians, I'll tell you. Um, what, what ultimately is moral theology? What is the social doctrine of the church? Well, anyone who knows theology or has studied, especially uh, theological disciplines, knows that moral theology and the social doctrine of the church flows from the dogmatic teachings of the church. Never can a moral teaching or a social doctrine be at odds with the dogmatic teaching of the church. It cannot happen. It means that the application of the moral teaching or the social doctrine is either mis is being misrepresented or the person who's presenting a church teaching is, is not doing it uh, with honesty. And that happens, Doug. I, I've read stuff by Catholic theologians mm -hmm. and I'm thinking this is an outright lie. This, mm -hmm. is, this is a complete mis uh, mis uh, uh, teaching of what the church is, is telling us. So we see this, but the dogmatic is the foundation and our moral teachings flow from it and social doctrines are part of our moral tradition. So when those things happen, do you think that those people are honestly misunderstanding or is it that they are pouring a certain agenda into the teaching and attempting to spin it in the direction they want it to go? So I think there's always an agenda, there's always a, an understanding of the human person mm -hmm. that plays into it. I think if we're talking about journalists or those who are you know, social activists, mm -hmm. a lot of times there, there may not be the theological formation, so sometimes there might be some naivete or lack of knowledge that's a part of it. Those who are trained in theology and present themselves as theologians of the church, mm -hmm. uh, I think there is, it is explicitly ideology because they know exactly what they're doing, they know what the church is teaching, what the church teaches and how what they're doing is at odds with the, with the church. So I think with, with those individuals, it is a little more nefarious. Mm -hmm. Now you talk about in section why this book and you talk about this being the church's teaching being uh, the best kept secret. And one of the things wow. you say is Christian believers have been passive and silent for too long in societal issues. They allowed themselves to be shamed and have accepted the lie of a privatization of religion. It's time for believers to find their voice and their backbones. Amen. Yes. Are you seeing that? In some places. In some places, uh, you know, I think it's a small victory when a, 
a Christian uh, couple says, a Christian parent say, you know what, we're, we're praying grace before meals and we make the sign of the cross now when we're at public restaurants. And we told our homeowners association we're, we're not gonna put the rainbow flag up during June and so on. So every small victory is a huge victory. And I think there's going to be the Christian family. It's going to be those who are called to holy matrimony and, and to the family life that are going to be our ambassadors and our missionaries. So the more as a church we can do to empower them, to teach them, to help them understand their call to be salt, light, and leaven in the midst of the world, the more we do that, every small thing they do is a huge victory for the gospel and for just moral truth and, and right living. Now you also have, and it's typical in your books and going through them, structures to how you do the chapters. Uh, in this particular one, you have a building a foundation, taking our stand, and going to the mountain. You want to explain? Yes, that? yes. So, uh, so the first part of every chapter, I just define certain virtues and principles because otherwise, what happens is we end up arguing moral truth based on our secular knowledge. So I begin right from the beginning. Here are the virtues. Here is what the virtue is because a lot of times our virtues have been redefined. Mm -hmm. Here's the virtue. Here's what it is. Here's the social principle. So a doctrine, social doctrine. Here's what it is, and I give citations. This isn't me inventing definitions. Here it is in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Here's how our tradition has always understood this. So that's the prep, and then there's the actual teaching. So from the Catechism of the Scriptures, point by point by point, I try to throw in a few pastoral stories to humanize it and, and to help people you know, to, to understand it and to make it easy to approach. And then at the end, I provide spiritual resources mm -hmm. to tell people at the end of the day, we're not one uh, group of ideo ideologues fighting another group. At the end, we're Christians who are trying to share, you know, right living, moral truth, the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, with those around us. So I want to make sure I provide some of the spiritual helps and some of the resources from the spiritual treasure of the church. That's the third part of each chapter of the book. Okay, and that's sanctify them in truth, how the church's social doctrine addresses the issue of our time. Also a mini-series on EW10. Let's uh, make sure we touch base on these other books. Next up we have Glory Unto Glory, a primer on ascetical theology. So now uh, we have to have sackcloth and assage. What, <laughs> what do we have to do now here? Right, exactly. Well, well this book was born because so oftentimes um, when I would talk about the spiritual life, either at retreats or conferences, people would come up and I began to realize more and more that the spiritual life was being divorced from the supernatural life. Mm -hmm that the spiritual life more and more was being defined as my method of prayer, my subjective experience of God, and so on. And, and while that can be a part of it, the, real, the reality of you know, shared doctrine, revealed truth, and the supernatural life as an objective reality that we're called to participate in was being lost. So glory to glory, again drawing from the scriptures and the catechism of the Catholic Church, was just to present some basic foundational teachings of the supernatural life. Why do we want to grow in our spiritual life? because we want more grace. Why do we want more grace? Because we want to grow in the supernatural life. Why? Because we want to be friends of God. Why? Because we want to dwell with God forever in heaven. Those are steps right there, Doug, that most, most uh, teachings on the spiritual life, like right now, books on prayer, don't even address. Mm -hmm. How can you talk about prayer and you don't talk about heaven? Or talk about prayer and you're not even going to speak about grace. Mm -hmm. So I just realized there are a lot of things lacking, I thought, no, we need to highlight some things from the church's uh, treasury. Right, I know there's been some, at different times, anecdotally, documents come out and people's first thing is, where's Jesus' name in here? Where, where, where are those sacramental teachings in here? These other things are very good, mm -hmm. but they don't seem to be as connected or based in 
the eternal teachings of the, of the church. Yes, when you, when you can take a spiritual book or a book on prayer and drop it into a middle of some corporation and say, here's a book on your experience of your spiritual life and everyone is perfectly comfortable with it, then it raises questions on how was that written by a Catholic author for the Catholic community when the unbeliever or the secular person is completely comfortable with it. And to your point, Doug, well, the fact that Jesus Christ was removed, the fact that there's no appeal to divine mm -hmm. revelation, the fact that there's nothing within our spiritual tradition. And more and more I'm seeing this. I think because it sells, people are happy with it. Right. Everyone likes to invent their own little Jesus. Why not have your own pet deity, right? So, but no, like we have revealed truth that apply not simply to dogma, but also to the spiritual right. life and the supernatural life. Yeah, the buddy Christ concept, the ah. idea that Jesus loves me just the way I am and gonna leave uh, me there too, right. as opposed to, of course he does, just like your parents, but they don't let you run wild. Yes. There, there are rules and regulation. You talk about the idea of spiritual theology versus ascetical theology. Talked a little bit about that. Why don't you explain it more? Yes, and there was a, a big conversation about that because obviously when, when you start speaking about ascetical theology, you might turn some people off or people right. aren't aware of it. Um, the book might have actually aren't done... Aren't suffering enough, am I? Uh, right, am sure, I, exactly. And, and a lot of times, uh, you know, admittedly, like if you use spiritual theology, uh, people might be more interested, the book might have sold more copies if we had gone with spiritual theology, mm -hmm. but but in the conversations, I, I, I just stressed, I said, I want us to begin to retrieve our own language. Right. And in our tradition, we would not refer to this as spiritual theology, it's ascetical theology, because again, there's this objective standard, and there's a call to die to ourselves, to order and discipline ourselves mm -hmm. by grace, in order to then become a part of something that we have received, the Paschal Mystery of Jesus Christ, the life of grace, and so on. So I, I was really insistent on keeping a ascetical mm -hmm. theology because, and, and we see this across the board, Doug, like we're losing our language. Mm -hmm. People don't even know basic Catholic terminology, so I thought, no, we, we need to hold this, and to those who are interested and they read the book, they're gonna learn something and, and retrieve some of our language. Well, I'm afraid you're gonna scare a lot of Catholics because you, you use St. Paul as an example, and people are always a little worry about him because he can be pretty tough. He can, he can, but you know, very tough, but then you read his pastoral letters, very endearing when he's writing to Timothy and Titus and to us by the Spirit, like very paternal, very encouraging, you know, and, and very warm. So we have many faces of Paul. And likewise, as in the prior book, structures of the chapters, you walk through the book, each chapter follows a similar structure. Why don't you explain what that is? Yep, so for glory into glory, there's a, a prep, so it's basically some initial prayers, and then there's a lot of teaching. Again, I use a lot of pastoral stories or situations where people, you know, it, it makes it digestible and easy to read, um, because there are some, some heavy terms and, and concepts in, in this book, admittedly, but I want to explain them and make them as, as approachable as possible. So stories and explanations, and then for glory into glory, there's a lot of the spiritual treasury of the church in, at the end of each chapter. So prayer methods, uh, different types of prayer, different ways of approaching God. Because Doug, people just don't realize how much we have in Jesus Christ. Mm. I, I had an experience some time ago where a person told me they left the Christian faith to become a Buddhist because they thought Buddhism could teach them how to pray better. Mm. I was like, what? Like Pope St. John Paul II said, the Carmelite tradition begins when the Buddhist tradition ends. Mm -hmm. Meaning, whatever they have, we have more. Right, right. right. Uh, there is Which a is always the Catholic. It, it, it concerns, it contains all rather then, than just part of. Yes, yes, the riches, the fullness right. of the riches of the glory. Like, so in this book in particular, I want to provide as many resources. But do you think with those kinds of things, um, many times, what's nice about that is that you don't really answer to anybody. 
Mm. You know, I mean, what's nice with the spirituality is just kind of like you indicated before. You know, I live in this world where I kind of create it the way I'd like it to be. Yeah. And there's really no official downside to very much. Yeah, that's a great point. I think at the heart of that is that whole concept, I'm spiritual without religious. Right. So no one's going to bind me or tell me what to believe or nothing has to be given to me. And the person thinks they have to invent everything. And, and to your point, it's very appealing, especially right. to a narcissistic culture right. that doesn't want to acknowledge anything outside of itself. Right? Well, yeah, well, you said self. Self. We have selfie religion, basically, with oh. people looking at a reflection of self. You say it's very important that the lessons of this book are not kept as intellectual fodder or as spiritual meanderings or as loosely provided inspiration for the mere satisfaction of our emotions. Why did you think that was an important concept to get across? Yes, yes, and, and you know, I realized that when we retrieve language that are, are not as popular today, uh, it's possible that people turn things off and are not listening, and, and I don't want anyone to think that somehow this is, you know, somehow very specialized theology that doesn't mm -hmm. apply to the person in the pew. No, this is part of our tradition, part of our inheritance, and, and I want it reclaimed because what we lose right. when we don't have that, when we have the selfie religion, what we lose is a great loss, as right. the Lord would tell us. And, and, and I want every baptized person to have the riches of the glory, to have that glory unto glory. So I hope that this book helps for us to retrieve some of that. Okay, and that's uh, Glory Unto Glory, a primer on ascetical theology. Moving ahead, we've got Understanding the Bible, a Catholic Guide to Applying God's Word to your daily life. Uh, are people misunderstanding the Bible more than they used to? Uh, or, or what was the premise? Who decided you needed to write a book about this? Yes, yeah, I, I, a lot of my books, uh, which is how I'm able also to do these, are born from pastoral experience. So I'm a pastor, a moral theologian, but I'm also a pastor of souls. I'm, I'm with families, I'm, I'm with Christians mm -hmm. who are trying to understand how to live the Christian way of life. This book was born from a lot of people who just kept, kept saying, I know I need to read the Bible, I don't know how. Mm -hmm. I want to read the Bible, I tried, and then they stopped. A lot well, of times- They start at the beginning and then they get stuck in Deuteronomy or someplace. Exactly, so or hit like, Leviticus and then right, it's yeah, over, it's you know, right, and, and, yeah. you know so, so it really was, was born from that. And, and you know, just reading Pew Research, that the level of biblical illiteracy. I mean, there are situations where people are quoting, quoting the scriptures and don't even know they're quoting the scriptures. Right. Salt of the earth, F the flock, the birds of a f birds of a feather flock together. Mm -hmm. um, you know, all, all these biblical it's expressions. Oscar Wilde or somebody, right, right, exactly, right, exactly. Right. You know, so I thought, no, we 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 can do better. We we need to get the word of God out there. So and this also book, people have quotes that they think are biblical, which aren't. That's true. <laughs> that's true. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Sometimes those come up as well. Right. Now, and, and it's interesting too because you talk about the understanding. The scriptures and the, and the idea, like you said, of making it understandable in, in the narrative form uh, of the storytelling, and then yes. you use the example of the Ethiopian eunuch. Yes, yes, right. yeah. So when when Philip was evangelizing the Ethiopian eunuch, he he just told the story of, of Jesus Christ, the story of salvation. And oftentimes, when people approach the scriptures, they think that it was written as a novel that it mm -hmm. starts on page one, it goes all the way through, and it concludes that the divine author was the only author, as opposed to, no, this was written over thousands of years. There's different books, literary genres, different human authors 
that this is more akin to a library right. rather than a novel. Point, right. Right. So, yeah, it would be like going into a, 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 a library section on theology and starting with the first book and thinking they're supposed to run yeah. in such a way chronologically that one would lead to the other. Being confused why it's not consistent or right. there are different views and perspectives. Yes. You also have in this, uh, you know, the idea of the library, and you also talk about each chapter has an opening prayer, inter introductory overview, a basic outline, application to our lives, some basic points, and a concluding prayer. So you like that kind of structure. I do. I think I'm a teacher at heart. I was a teacher before I went to seminary, I taught to high school students, so I think that's kind of just ingrained in me. And I also know I'm busy. I like when things are succinct and, and bullet points, and, and I suspect other people who are busy appreciate it as well. Uh, with each chapter here, there's 73 books of the Bible. There's 73 uh, chapters. Each chapter parallels a book. And each chapter just, as you described, Doug, it, it's just the bullet points. What was the main point? What are the main themes? What's the outline? What are some basic parts? If I can't read the whole book, Isaiah has 66 chapters, right? Where are some initial parts where I can start, you know, right. in order to understand some parts of this? And one unique part about this book is a part of the book that applies, the biblical book mm -hmm. that applies to my life. Because the whole point of this is not simply reading the Bible, but right. realizing this is a living word. When I pick up the scriptures, I'm not reading the Iliad or some other ancient document or right. story. I'm encountering the living word of God. God is speaking to me. So that narrative part is also really important to this book. This is the odyssey of the church, so to speak, uh, to, to go back to Homer. Understanding the Bible, Catholic Guide to Applying God's Word uh, to Your Life Today. And uh, I think the latest book coming out from yes. you, um, which we wanted to, and you alluded to Mount Carmel earlier, and A Journey to Mount Carmel, Nine-Day Preparation for Investiture in the Brown Scapular of Our Lady. So the brown scapula, you put it on, you're protected from all things, and you're absolutely promised to go to heaven. Is that true? <laughs> yes, yes, but with <laughs> clarification, right? Okay. You know, I, I always like this, that we tend to approach spiritual promises in a very business-like manner. So I go to the store, I give money, I get uh, a, a product. And that's how we approach spiritual promises. Mm -hmm. But spiritual promises are different. It would be, for example, I'm going to have a teacher teach me how to play piano, and the instructor says, if you practice every day, you'll be a good pianist. That's a spiritual promise. Mm -hmm. That's how we should understand it. So there's a promise of the scapula. If you die wearing the scapula, you will not go to the fires of hell. But to realize that the scapula is worn and then has to be lived. It's an outward life. sign of what's an what's, uh, inward conversion. Exactly, ongoing, exactly. Right? If the inward yeah. conversion is not there, then right. the, the scapula. It's not like you, know, you bought a player piano here. Right, right, right. Exactly, <laughs> right, right. You know, and, and, and I tell people, you know, it, it's not a good luck charm. It's not a piece right. of superstition. Like this, this is something that expresses faith and Well, you say around, it's not jewelry, religious sentimentality, a misplaced uh, act of superstition, because some people can get oh, carried yeah. away with that, right? Yes, absolutely. They get too literal. Yes, very much, very much. And, and, and I want people to use the scapular. This is probably one of the more devotional things mm -hmm. I've ever written. And I, and I use the scapular because we live in a secular world. Any help to us that can encourage us in terms of our discipleship, the reality of God, I think is a plus. And, and I wanted to use the scapular in order to help emphasize what it means to be a baptized Christian, mm -hmm. to have died to ourselves in order to live for Christ. So I, I've described this book as a crash course in Christian discipleship. And of course, that discipleship is expressed externally by the wearing of the scapular. Now, there's a nine-day preparation, like a novena, right? 
and there are nine chapters. So you like to organize things. That's so it. They're all up there. Preparation, teaching, and spiritual exercise. You also have to pick, what, a holy day to start off? If possible. Or something related to Our Lady and Our Lord, usually. Sure, and, and I give a list in, in the in appendix of, of feast days, but if someone, you know, just started, and you can, anyone could be invested in the scapular any time, but sometimes it makes, it makes it more meaningful mm -hmm. if a certain feast day is chosen. So, for the people you've dealt with who've, who've, let's say, had this investiture, what do you see the positive aspect of doing this in their spiritual life? Yes. Have you seen that? Yes, I have, I have. And, and, and I realize, you know, the, the spiritual treasure of the church is vast. There's a lot of resources. And someone can say, why the scapular? Why not this? Why not that? And so on. And, and that's a fair question. Mm -hmm. I've seen the scapular work because I think the fact that we wear it on our bodies and it unites us body and soul, the fact that the scapular moves and, and reminds us that it's there uh, is important. It, it's shaped like a yoke that reminds us that we don't follow ourselves. We are yoked you know, to the gospel of another. Mm -hmm. And I found that the scapular has been very helpful to people, I think especially in a secular age. I mean, when people live and work in a world that tells them God doesn't exist, God's not important, keep your faith to yourself, shut up, don't right. talk about moral truth and don't talk about prayer, I think any resource, any help, such as a brown scapular, can be a great encouragement. Uh, no, I, I, God does exist. I know that God is with mm. me. I, I will speak of more. It's a reminder truth. to you, too. Very much, very much. Very good. That reminds me to ask you just before we go, because we're out of time. Uh, do you have another book in the works? <laughs> no, Doug, I think I'm taking a little break. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> yes, great. So this, this is, you're going to rest that writing pen. So when you do write, how do you write? Yeah, so first I see what's going on in the parish, what, what's going on among the people of God. A lot of these books started as adult formation series or homily series or a series of questions that have come to me from people. So I tend to just look what's happening, what's popular. Uh, sometimes, uh, honestly, things that provoke me, like why don't we know this or how has this been forgotten? And then I start to take it to prayer and see if something comes right. together. And then, what about physically? How do you write? When do you find the time? Usually it's late in the evening. Um, so I, I, I don't email anyone after 10.30 p.m. unless it's an emergency. Uh, my personal have direct right. access to me. So after 10.30 I stop, work's over. Uh -huh. And so I give myself 10.30 to whenever I need to go to sleep in order to write. Okay, very good. Thank you, Father Jeffrey Kirby. Thanks, Doug. For all of this fine work and your mini-series for us as well. Four books, Sanctify Them in Truth, Glory Unto Glory, Understanding the Bible, and A Journey to Mount Carmel. Those are all four books, all available through our EWTN Religious Catalog, EWTNRC.com for all things Catholic. I'm Doug Keck. Thank you for joining us. Check those books out as well. We'll see you next time.